Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My special guest today is Walter Hill Jr. Walter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Henry, and very happy to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. We're going to chat about Walter's very interesting and inspirational entrepreneurial journey and his new book. His new book is entitled Think Red Flags, which, which shares his method that he's applied in his very successful business over many years to help you avoid costly mistakes, which your business may not recover from. Often that's what it's about in surviving and being successful with a small business. This approach applies whether you have an existing business and you're looking to do it better as we all are, or if you're thinking about starting your first business, this is a great way to think about a method to apply to avoid some of those costly mistakes. Mm-hmm. You want to receive more information about the show, including the show notes page for this episode, or to schedule a free coaching, coaching consultation with me, you can text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700, or visit thehowabusiness.com. Let me tell you a little bit more about Walter. Walter Walter Hill Jr. is a passionate business leader and the author, uh, and an author, as I mentioned, of an over fifty. Stumbling all over that, <laughs> over forty years, which is plenty, of business experience. He's a second generation entrepreneur, and Walter began learning the fundamentals of building a successful business at the age of nine with the guidance and support of his father. We'll chat about that a bit. Walter created Icon Blue Incorporated in 1998. Icon Blue became a leading minority business enterprise and a provider of marketing solutions in the United States. In its first year of operation, Icon Blue was recognized as the African American Business of the Year. Icon Blue was also recognized by Toyota, American Honda Motors, Macy's as a small business of the year. That's because of how well he was as a vendor to those large organizations. So it tells you something about the way he ran his business. He was noted for exemplary service ethics and the value that he consistently delivered to those clients. Walter has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and a variety of other national publications. His television appearances include Good Morning America, Good Morning Virginia, and person to person. And he just recently, as I said, released his new book, Think Red Flags, a proactive and profitable approach to your small business, which I've had to have it here in front of me. I've had the opportunity to review it in preparation for this conversation. Walter lives in the Los Angeles, California area. Walter Hill Jr., welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Henry. I'm very, very happy to be here and have a discussion with you and your listeners this morning. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time for doing so. I'd like to start, Walter, where I usually do, and then yours is a fascinating journey. I want to go back to the those early influences, the early influences that you had, that your dad had on you. Tell me about back then when you were a child, the, the types of businesses that your father had. Um, well, you know, I, I started uh, at a very young age, as I indicated in the book, um, grew up in Petersburg, Virginia, small town of 30,000 people. And um, my dad had three businesses there. He had a, a, a service station, uh, an SO service station, a fuel oil delivery business, and a uh, auto body shop. 
And uh, that was my introduction um, to small business. As a matter of fact, the only thing that I knew was that mm -hmm. uh, because uh, both my dad and his friends, because it was a segregated community, um, the black community was very self-supporting. Uh, uh, all my dad's friends were um, the, owned the cleaners. My uncles owned the grocery store. The uh, our lawyers were were black, the dentist, the doctor, the owner of the pharmacy, on and on and on. So I, I, um, it, it was not something that I had to evolve to the consciousness of, of being, of uh, becoming an entrepreneur, because it was the only thing that was in my environment. Now, let, let me just share this with your listeners, because as people listen to other people like you and, and, and myself to come on to talk about their experience. I, I, I'm, I'm going to just preface what I'm saying to you this morning as um, I think it's more important for us when we, we get further into this to talk about uh, the how I was able to become successful as an entrepreneur, as opposed to the fact of, of you know, what I did, um, uh, my experience, the fact that I'm successful. There are lots of success stories in America. This is a, a very wealthy country. And I think what people need to know more about is how can we help them with this conversation get to where they want to be? Yeah. And yeah. I, I hope, I'm hoping that's where we yeah, well said. Obviously, it's you know, it's, it's it's in part, Walter, as you as you well noticed that the title of my podcast is the yeah. how. That's what I like to focus on, and that's what you've distilled into this incredible book. However, you're being modest because um, this this incredible journey that you've had and this incredible experience that you had, you grew up out of necessity because of the cultural components of it in a in an, in an incubator of sorts of entrepreneurship. I mean, yes. you just you just grew up on it, and and it's fascinating, right? Out of that necessity came this this environment that nurtured you to just be a you know a born entrepreneur, I suppose, to some degree. I'm curious though. A lot of times, what I hear of people who grew up with their parents being in business, I've talked about this often on the show, is that all you seem to hear as the as the child is the the pain of it, the headaches, the dad's never home. What, what about that? Did that ever make you think, well, I don't want any of that? What, what are your thoughts there? Well, we had a very, I would say probably a fortunate thing that happened at a, at a very young age. I was a very, very quiet, um, introverted kid. And my dad was a very assertive, Mm. man's man's man i mean mm. you know at 45 years old he had a 29 waistline he was Jeez. fit yeah. he was a handsome guy and he was he was smart and he did business and he was well known throughout the whole town and here it is he has a son that's a little <laughs> timid right and and his name is walter hill jr so that could never be that he would allow such a thing so i was fortunate in my, that my dad decided to have me come work with him every day. So every day after school from nine years old, I was in my father's environment. So I, I certainly didn't get a chance to miss dad because I was right I there. I see, you were with him, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was right there. If he was at the body shop, I was at the service station and he gave me, he gave me adult 
responsibilities. I had a soda machine and a candy machine and uh, to manage and what profits I didn't eat, uh, <laughs> up, eat and drink up myself. Um, you know, and I, I learned some things from that. I learned that when someone would come to the service station and they, they'd ask for gas while we were pumping, because in those days you pump the gas, you know, you put it mm -hmm. in, in, in for the customer. And I would say, can I get you something from the confection stand? Would you like some gum or would you like something? That was a natural thing that just kind of mm -hmm. occurred that then I learned, ha, huh, if you speak up, if you're assertive, if you ask for what you want, you know, my sales and my little business just tripled because people would say, yeah, bring me a soda, or bring me this or bring me that. And uh, so that these are the kind of experiences that not only uh, are not so unique, I think, sure, to me. Sure, I can't sure. speak to everybody's experience, but I think that some other people may have had a paper route and they and they learn things from that or they had uh, a grass cutting little chores that they did for other people and they learn from that. I, I think that you you'll find, Henry, that people who have had success in their life, there's a lot of commonalities between them as to how they how they came along and how they developed to be who they are. Yeah, no, I would agree. And and so I suspect then it sounds like maybe you were more of an introvert, but the big one of the big takeaways here is that nonetheless, you learned and your your father guided you in putting yourself out there and and in that case, you know, asking for the sale, if you will. And, and you learned that lesson early that there's opportunity out there if you go get it. Yes, absolutely. You talk about in the book this, that you had an absolute fear of failure. Where do you think that came from? Uh, I think it was just a natural thing. It was, um, uh, it started, I think the first experience I had when I was collecting quarters, we had this very large lot Part, uh, uh, piece of land and the farmers would come in from the nearby countryside on weekends and they'd need a place to park their car and we would allow them to park on this lot that we had uh for 25 cents and my job was to collect the quarters so i would approach people and say quarter for parking sir and sometimes because i was a kid they would just ignore me as if I was <laughs> invisible, as if I didn't exist. And they started walking away, just totally ignoring this kid asking for a quarter. <laughs> that did not make me feel good inside. It, it, um, when, when, when they left and I realized my dad gave me one job and that's to collect a quarter. And I didn't do that. It felt terrible. Um, it was not a feeling that I wanted to, to continue. So I asked my dad, I said, well, when the people don't pay, what do we do? He said, we can have their car towed. So that was my that thing. So every time someone got to the corner and started to turn and didn't pay, I said, sir, and cause you know, I was a Virginian kid. We had to be polite to adults always Great. under any circumstance. So I would just keep repeating, it's a quarter for parking, sir. It's a quarter for parking. And when they ignored me, I would say, sir, your car won't be here when you get back. <laughs> <laughs> that took some gumption. That took some uh, fortitude there to say that to an adult, especially at that age. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, they'd all, 100% of the times I collected a quarter <laughs> after that. So I that was a learning experience about 
having to give people enough of an incentive to tell you like, yes, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. not always a threat, of course, you, you would hope, but enough of an incentive they'd want to tell you less so that I would not have to feel the feeling of what I felt at the time was failure to do my job. Do you feel like you ever overcame that fear of failure or did it always fuel you in some way? Uh, it fueled me eventually um, when, uh, you know, after college and I worked my way across country, uh, it took me three months. Um, I stopped in Springfield, Illinois and in, in Williams, Arizona uh, to, to work because so, I didn't have enough, enough money to continue. And when I, when I stopped in those places and I started to uh, ask for work and people would, would, you know, first they would turn me down. But it was it was different. Uh, it it had a different. Um, I kind of learned to, if there was a flat out no, to quickly go to the next stop, mm -hmm. to try again. Right. So you that know? rejection, you didn't allow it to crush you. You kept going. Yeah, I, I learned that rejection is not failure. Rejection is only a temporary condition. Only a temporary. Uh, act that's happening. You fail if you quit and don't continue to pursue it. That's the only time that you fail. Yeah. Uh, so once I, I I I learned that, then I never stopped pursuing what I was after. Yeah. So yeah. each each town that I stopped in, if there was a a, a rejection and not a rejection, but just no, no openings, no hire in this location. I just quickly go to the next one and the next one and the next one. And then what I learned was as I did that, if I was persistent and I gave reasons as to why people should hire me, I always got a job. You must have also been always optimistic, though, in your personality, I have to think. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I believe a lot of my success is was based on my faith. Um, I, I don't think that to uh, achieve the success level that I've been able to accomplish over my life and enjoy now, um, I, I think there's a, a spiritual aspect to it. I don't believe I just did it all myself. I don't believe that when I was in Arizona, when I, I don't believe that when I was in Springfield, Illinois, and I had no place to stay, and I'm driving down the street, and there's a woman in her yard, and I stop and ask her, ma'am, do you, could you please tell me if there's a place that I might rent a room, and she invites me in her home, a mature couple, and invites me in her home, gives me a clean place, and charge me $10 a week, and I, those kind of things happened over and over and over and over. So I can't take credit for being the genius that achieved everything. I, I believe that uh, God's influence in my life was, is a very important part of it. I was in the Arizona Forest Reserve. My car broke down at two o'clock in the morning. There was absolutely no cars on the highway, pitch dark. My car, uh, the um, oil pump, oil pump went out. It was metal on metal. It was smoke coming from under the hood. And 15 minutes after that, the car started. I drove 
25 miles into Williams, Arizona, and sun up, I actually got there. Um, I, you know, it, I, I can't attribute all that to my perseverance, my genius. It's, you know, um, I believe it's important in sure, business sure. and in life uh, to stay close to your faith. Sure. But, but, but the part of it, though, that you did do is you had that positive mentality that allowed you, I think, to some extent to manifest for these things to manifest in your life. Yes. You put yourself out there. So you put yourself at, you went out there. I mean, I mean, you left home and you went out on this adventure, if we will, to go find something for yourself. Yeah. So I think that's part of something that you did do to help this happen. I, absolutely. I did why did you, why did you go strike out to Los Angeles? Why did you decide you needed to leave home and go to the other coast? Well, I think it was my dad's dream. When, 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 we, when all the kids, my friends were coming out of uh, University of Maryland, they were going to New York and they were going to Washington to work. And I was thinking, um, if I go to California, if I'm hungry and I'm not able to get food, at least I, I won't starve and freeze. The, the, <laughs> the climate, uh, this was my logic. I said, the climate is sense. good. The climate is good. And you don't want to be in New York with no funds in with the winter and the places that you have to live in when you're poor in New York yeah, was hard. not desirable, okay? Right, right. So um, California had the warm climate and I thought that it was large enough population that I would be able to find a place for myself. I see. I, I, I have never regretted that decision. Yeah. And you first, uh, if I understood it right in the book, you got into selling pots and pans. Tell me about that experience. Well, that was a very unique experience, and I attributed a lot of my success to it because of what I learned from it. I had all I had already learned the benefit of the more I produce, the more I earn. Mm -hmm. So that was my mentality. But but you so, grew up with that though, right? That you you can create for yourself. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, I did grow up with that. So when they offered me, I, I was, you know, I had five bucks when I arrived in California and um, there was a very nice couple again that allowed me to have an apartment if I were to clean the apartment and they would uh, and, and pay them in 30 days. So that uh, wonderful people helped me. And um, so I did that. And then I was looking for work. And I was, you got to understand something. Then I was very green. I was fresh out of a 30,000 population place <laughs> and, and, and LA was huge. And, and I was, uh, I knocked on the door of a place that had no idea about direct sales, never heard mm -hmm. of it before. Other than and what, what year more or less are we talking, Walter? 66. Okay. 66. And so these young guys, I was really impressed because there was a company and the company was run by USC students, you know, uh, graduate students. And so it was a different kind of direct sales company. It wasn't the, you know, the, the, the old twisted shoe kind of mm -hmm. direct sales. These were all young guys. So I could relate to them. Right. And, and so they said, um, you'll make $45 every time you make a sale, you sell the cookware. Wow. So they, they gave me a demonstration. And I remember thinking, um, my gosh, who wouldn't buy one set of cookware that lasts a lifetime, that keeps the vitamins in your food and so on and so on and so on. Who wouldn't want that? Mm -hmm. and, you know, and I was, I was so naive that 
I went out. I gave 13 presentations and sold 11 out of 13 sets. Wow. Broke, broke every sales record that they had. What do you attribute it to? I mean, a part of it was just you were naive. You didn't think there anything else was going to happen. Yeah. You certainly weren't afraid of rejection. You had already learned to overcome that. Yeah. So but what else was it that made you so successful so early? Well, I think that, that somehow, naturally, I learned to uh, provide someone with enough of an incentive, and it goes back to the parking lot thing, enough of an incentive for them to tell me yes. And if I didn't give them, if they didn't say yes the first time, I felt, well, maybe I didn't explain this well enough. Let me go over it again. Uh, let me let me explain it to you. And I was sincere. I was not selling. I didn't know anything about selling. Yeah. Uh, any of that. But I was very very sincere in feeling that everyone that I talked to should have this product. Two years later, to fast forward, I had my own, I started my own company. Yeah. I had offices on Wilshire Boulevard, and um, the. Uh, uh, I would sell the contracts to the local finance companies. It was $249. I'd sell the contract. They discount it and uh, they take the payments, you know, plan and all that. And I would get cash and it was a very lucrative business. So, you know, by 24 years old, I had my first experience with making money. Amazing. All right. So then how do you end up in the promotional products industry? Well, you know, there was an evolution. Uh, we had economy that, that went south some years, say five or six years after I was in that business. And uh, the financing had dried up to be able to sell your contracts. And, uh, and so, I, 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 so I started public speaking for a while and, um, you know, motivational speaking with um, uh, a couple of uh, people that were in the, in the real estate field. And uh, then I met uh, an owner of a promotional products company and I, I liked that business and it was my first experience with it because it had a repeat value to it. You were developing relationships instead of just a sale. Yeah, you were one time a, sale. Yeah, I mean, even when you were selling pots and pans, it was usually one sale and then you didn't have anything else to sell to that family necessarily. That was oh, it. Yeah. One sale and it was over. The relationship was over. Right. So you didn't, you didn't build relationships. It was... Um, you know, and it, it served its purpose when I, you know, at the time, but I wanted to build a business. So I started working, working for them. And there is one of the um, things in the book, I talk about the three ways we learn. We learn from reading and education. That's one, uh, because they, they both involve education. Um, we learn from experience, personal experience, and we learn from other people's experience. And I always feel to anyone who is one, an aspiring entrepreneur, if there's a way that you can first learn from someone else's experience, as I did Idea Man, the company that I work for, um, I learned all the nuances of the business. From them, I saw where the, where the pain points were. I saw how merchandise could come in, and it's a $50,000 order, and someone left an eye off of the spelling of a corporate name or something, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and how disastrous that was. You not only you lose the merchandise, you lose the cost of the goods, the profit. Uh, it's demoralizing to your, your company and you could lose the customer. 
for failing to do the detail. So the loss could be substantial. And what I wanted to do when the eventually I evolved into my own business, I wanted to have a way of thinking because I know that I could not teach my staff every single potential problem that could occur. I did not have a crystal ball. So what I did was we taught them how to think. We taught them the red flag process. We taught them how to look at what you're about to do and just quickly and naturally, not sitting down with a pen and paper because if you overanalyze, then you know that can be crippling to a business. Uh, to be too cautious right, is not right. something not something that I recommend. Mm-hmm. But it became a natural thing with me where I could could and and this is what I taught is to how to look at a project or how to look at your company and identify those areas in that business that if you do not do them well, you could fail. You don't have to do everything right. You can make mistakes in a business. You just can't make those mistakes from which you can't recover. And that reminds me of a conversation I had with my 16-year-old daughter once. I was giving her one of those dad conversations. And she said, <laughs> she said, Dad, I know that you don't want my sister and I to make mistakes, but we're going to have to make our own mistakes in growing up. And I said to her, I said, sweetheart, I am not trying to keep you from making mistakes. I am trying to keep you from making mistakes from which you cannot recover. Right. That's my job as your dad. Okay. And that same thing applies to business. This is Henry Lopez pausing this episode for a moment to tell you about my trusted service partner for everything related to websites and SEO, Adam Kirk and his company, Ustas. Ustas specializes in website development and online marketing for small business and has been a business partner of the Howa business for almost three years now. I am also a client of Ustas and have a trusted relationship with their founder, Adam Kirk. You may recognize Adam's name as he's been a guest on this podcast several times over the past few years. Now more than ever, you need a website that represents your small business as a professional and viable business online. Your website is making a first impression for your business. The question is, what kind of impression is it making? Is it creating confidence and making it easy for potential new customers and clients to clearly understand what you offer and how to contact you? Or does your site look like a relic from the 1990s? Or far worse, you have no website at all, which unfortunately is the case for many small businesses today. Well, here is a great opportunity to finally get the website your business deserves without the fear of not knowing how much it's going to cost or paying a small fortune. Ustas has affordable small business website plans starting at as low as $9.99 for a beautiful and effective informational website that will attract new customers and make a fantastic first impression. There are no long-term contracts and you will know exactly what you are going to get for this set price, a professional and responsive, customized website that will help you grow your business. Ustas also has a plan that costs you nothing up front and just $250 a month. Visit thehowabusiness.com for more information. And when you connect with Ustas, just let them know you heard about the offer on the Howa Business to receive a special price on your custom website. Now's the time to get your website working for you and helping you grow your business. 
All right, so you've just begun to introduce red flagging or this red flag technique. I, mm -hmm. I want, uh, and you just summarized it well, but maybe what I want is for you to walk us through, if you will, as you spell out in the book, the key elements. You, you have it as intuition plus foresight leads to identifying red flags. Am I, am I starting to understand that correctly? Yes. So walk me through that. Let's let's break it down. What do you mean when you say intuition? Um, you walk into a convenience store. Give me an example. You walk into a convenience store and it's 90 degrees outside. There's a man standing at the counter with a heavy coat, a hoodie, and his hand is underneath the coat. Your intuition, your instincts should immediately caution you because that's all red flags are. Red flags are caution points. We grew up with them. Stop at a corner. You look right. You look left. You look both ways before you cross the street. Why? Because there is potential danger. It's a very elementary concept. Sometimes I feel it's so elementary and that's why some people have trouble grasping it. It's very simple to the intelligent mind. Now, part and of this is that that gut feel that we have, as we call it sometimes, right? Exactly. And learning exactly. to trust that gut feel, that intuition. Yeah, absolutely. Learning to trust it. The same thing can occur in business. I say, I'm bringing in a shipment, uh, two containers from China. Uh, I'm dealing with a country, first of all, that English is their second language. Even though they speak English in these factories, it's their second language. So I need to make certain first that the written communication I send to them is clean and clear and simple. Okay, I have to put it in kind of an elementary approach to it. And then, as Ronald Reagan would say, trust but verify. I had to remember a second step in the flagging is make sure I verify that what I'm asking for is exactly what they're doing in the early stage with inspectors. Because if I don't do that and, they, and it gets to the first 150,000 pieces and I check it, if it's not what I want, I'm going to miss the ship date now. I'm going to miss the ship date because they don't have time to, they, they can't redo everything and still do it on time. So I make, as, as a result of that, I make my first checkpoint at the first 10,000 as opposed to 150,000. Right. It, it's, it's, it's very basic. It's thinking ahead of how to best handle something because there have been shipments of goods that come in and the, the, the recipient opens the container and is not what they were expecting. And it results in a major loss of time, money, and possibly customers. But so is that the foresight part of this formula though, Walter? That or is the force, foresight. The intuition is what comes from the gut. Yeah. So let me ask That's you about intuition because isn't that in part though for us to have, especially when it comes to business, uh-huh. Doesn't that come with experience? And if I don't have the experience, how do I how do I begin to develop that intuition for business? You can develop that by asking questions. You know, 
I'm, I'm not sure that most people don't 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 have the uh, experience because it's just because that they don't they don't have sense kind of stuff. It's not yeah, it's not yeah. business specific. Is that why? Yeah, it's not business specific. They they don't have this the the experience as it relates to the business that they're going into, or the business that they're already in. But they have had experience with caution points. Everybody does. It's a very common thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, red, so it's that passion. intuition that when our gut fear or intuition says, this doesn't seem right. This seems like a yellow flag to me. This is a red flag. This is, you have to learn to trust that and have the confidence to know that that's part of the decision-making that leads to identifying a potential red flag. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. That's fair. Okay, the foresight then is what you were talking about. That also, I think, has to come with some experience or learning of anticipating that, you know, if I don't do things up front, that shipment, by the time it gets here, it's too late to fix the problem then. But tell me more about foresight and how I develop that. Well, foresight is something that once the intuition kicks in, you is projecting ahead and asking the what if questions. You know, one of the best at it in the, on the planet is NASA. How based on some of the other experiences that they've had, you foresight is something that you develop from life experiences. Does not have to be particularly a project or business experience. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that you can just anticipate that if you don't do step one, step two is not going to happen. I mean, right. it, it's, it's, it doesn't require a lot of, um, you know, you, you don't have to get run over by a car to know that <laughs> if you step out in the street in front of the car, it's going to hurt and possibly kill you. Right. But to continue with that example, and, and you, you talk about it in the book, is it they've developed then a methodology, which is what we have to do, not to that level, obviously, of what if scenarios, as you said. So, yeah. and we as business owners have to think that way. And I, I've always believed, and this this book does such a great job of, of articulating it and putting it into a method that, that anybody can learn. But I've always believed that as the business owner, we have to think several steps ahead. And that's part of what I think you're talking about here. Mm -hmm. So when I think about placing that order, I, as the owner, got to think, okay, but, you know, we have these other things that could happen. What are those different scenarios? I need to at least run through those things in my head, that foresight to identify a potential red flag. Yes? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and my team, because I always talked in terms of flagging orders, being, and because we were in the custom print business, we did from branded merchandise for corporations. Um, I talk, always talk to my team and so that I could be talking to one of my account managers and they would say, well, I think we should do X because, you know, that's a red flag. I mean, they, they may. And so everyone was very familiar with the concept. That's why I wanted it to be common and simple, you know, and not highly sophisticated. So they didn't, I, I knew they could grasp what it was, not that they were not smart people or something, but I think the simpler, more elementary, the fundamentals of a business are the better off you have a chance at having an efficient system and enjoy a less than half percent error rate like we did in our company. We weren't the largest company in the industry, but we were one of the most profitable. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's why because a lot of what impacts profitability in that industry is having to recover from errors printed. Exactly. Thing, you know, exactly. Run, yeah. Exactly. Right. 
Okay, exactly. so at the foundation of this now, as you explain in the book, is the, what you call the matrix. So if, I'm hoping you can introduce that. What is, introduce the matrix component of this. The matrix is something that you will find the most successful franchises and people who have multiple locations, what they do. In other words, once they find a formula that works in a business, um, they document it. And they repeat the same thing over and over again. You can go to a McDonald's anywhere in the state, in the country, and you get the exact same quality product. Exact same. Same thing with Taco Bell. Same thing with Kentucky uh, uh, chicken. But that's what I would refer to, Walter, as a, a system, a checklist, uh, procedures. But, but the red flagging is more than that, right? I mean, you call it an approach, not a system. So where am I missing the difference as to how this isn't just another way to do systems or to document a procedure? Well, the one thing about, uh, I, I guess you could, you, I would, I would, we wouldn't refer to it as, um, as that because um, as, you, as, you, as you go forward, in delving further into uh, the nuanced differences in, in what we're talking about, the, the red flagging is um, what happens after you have had the gut instinct, what happens after you project ahead. And the red flag is what you do to highlight a particular um, part of your process that says this at this point could be problematic. Okay. Okay. This could be problematic. And that's where the flag goes. I see. So more attention is paid to that particular, that particular part. Okay. So that's, that's a great clarification. I'm starting to, to better understand it. You, when you, but the matrix is your term for developing that system. The red flagging is identifying where in that process I need to pay particular attention and ask those what if questions, because if there's something that goes wrong there, it has significant impact. Am I getting it? Yeah, you're getting it. Okay. Uh, a good interview in the book was uh, Tom Sims, Mimi's restaurants, 150 restaurants across the country. He talked about his matrix. The matrix with him was trying to establish a process where the basic fundamentals of how to attract a customer and keep a customer and have a repeat customer are the same in every location. It's repeated. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you can't document everything, every procedure. It, it, it's impossible, especially when you're talking about different businesses. So we right. didn't try to say, Here's a system for all businesses. What we try to do, what I try to do in this book is say, here is how you, a way of thinking to develop your system. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not telling people what their system should be. Right. We're saying, here's an example. This is how Tom Sims did this in his restaurant business. When you approach the restaurant, they always wanted to make sure that the window, because it's a food product, 
you wanted people to have the window as they come in the door. It's always clean. You know how you go to some restaurant, you see fingerprints all over the right. fingers and just dirty windows. Yes, yeah, that's <laughs> that initial tone is negative right off. Yeah, mind. initial tone. These are minor things. But when you put together, uh, Henry, enough minor problems in a issue or, or minor mishaps, they become major. It means that the experience that the person has had was not favorable and they're not coming back. And then they had this thing of everyone had to be greeted warmly as soon as they come in, seated quickly, okay, served promptly, and hot food should always be served hot, cold should always be served cold. So therefore, you have to have some process of not leaving uh you know, eggs and bacon sitting on the shelf too long when it's ready before you take it to the table. And if you take it to the table after some time, it's cold. Customer can't enjoy it. That's not an experience. How do you prevent those little negatives from happening? Now, when those, you do are those are, are those where you're they're then identifying in each steps there the potential red flags. The red flag is the total picture. The red flag is not having a matrix to help okay. guide your staff through what they should be doing. That's the red flag. Okay. okay. Each of those individual things are what I would call, they would have a minor impact on your business. Sure, exactly. It, 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 but when you collectively bring them together, they have a major impact if you don't do enough of those things. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, excellent. Um, you touched on this already, and it's, it's I'd like to hear your further thoughts because yeah. you, you touched earlier on that, and I suffer from this sometimes, analysis paralysis, where I, mm -hmm. I'm overthinking things. And so uh, how this approach helps us with not overthinking things, but give us some more thoughts on your experience there on how not to overanalyze things in business. How not to overanalyze. Yeah, what, think, when, uh, when, did, when did you know I've done enough thinking on this? Now we just need to execute. Was there, was uh, there a, 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 a lot of it, Henry, can be, can be measured by the importance of the uh, issue. You have low impact, medium impact, and high impact issues in a business, errors that can occur. Uh, what kind of an impact does it have uh, on your business to determine? Uh, how much attention should I, I spend on this? For example, right. we, had, we had a shipment that we sent to uh, Florida for an event at a convention center, and uh, it was very time sensitive. The person you know, uh, who is supposed to receive it uh, received the box, four o'clock, it's time for him to go home, so he went home. Uh, he put the box under the counter. People missed the ship date. They, they missed the receipt date, and they had a show so they didn't need the goods after the show. So now the customer doesn't want to pay for the goods because they didn't get them in time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, since we don't ship the hotels, but maybe twice a year, it's not a major issue. Okay. It's not major, but it's something that we prefer not to have happen again. Sure. <clears throat> so um, you, you make decisions on how much time you're going to spend with a resolution based on how much of a pain point? How much of a problem was this? The customer eventually realized it wasn't our issue. It was they didn't make the proper preparation to receive the package um, and it was not our issue. But it's still, it's, it, it, it doesn't help your relationship no. with, a, with a client when you have to explain things like that. So we set up a, 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 um, um, 
a it, it's a, it became a part of our matrix. Anytime we ship to a location, it's not the con- company's headquarters or not one of their branches um, that we note to the customer and highlight that we can only be responsible for delivering to the location that they ask us to deliver to. And where the goods go after that, unless they tell us some specific instructions, we at least we've disclosed it so that it's brought to the table. What it does then, it makes the client make sure that it's going to be received properly. So that's right. how we, we resolve. Okay. That does not take. Then you have medium impact things, things that you know would cost cost money. And high impact is when you lose a customer and and dollars as a result of it. Those are the ones where you put your uh, put most of your energy yeah. Um, yeah. and learning to prioritize and not over analyzing minor low impact issues. Good, good, good input there. Thank you. All right. Mm-hmm. If I want to get started with this approach of thinking red flags, red flagging, what's your recommendation as to how I get started? Well, I, I think you, you know, first of all, I don't think you can listen to a podcast like this and not be already started. I think all of your listeners will now have a mindset that there's a need to project ahead a bit. Um, I had a, some, some, a couple of young men once had a product. They were excited about the product. Uh, they never validated that the product did exactly what they thought it would do. And as a result, it, it challenged the project ended in, in total failure. So when they, you get excited about something, uh, I think that the question that most of your listeners would then ask themselves is, how do I validate that customers will want this? How, how do I, I think they would because it's a great idea, but how do I, how do I get some idea as to this is, has value and people will pay the price that I'm asking them to pay for it? So if you start to answer and work on that, taking that basic elementary approach to it, they will, uh, they'll be fine. And, you know, I suggest reading, um, learning from other people is one of the greatest benefits that you can possibly have. And since you can meet them all and have mentors at them all, you can read things, you can read, uh, think red flags, um, uh, there's a lot of good information in there. I didn't write the book to <clears throat> become a Nobel Prize winner. I wrote it to just disseminate some of the really basic things that I know can help entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs be profitable in their business. So read, um, talk to others. If you have an opportunity to uh, work for someone else in the field, even if it's a related field and not the exact field, I would suggest you do so because a tremendous amount of uh, knowledge and education comes from that. As you read my book and you see the six interviews that I did in the book of different professions, you know, from restaurants to real estate buying uh, to uh, construction supplies, you will notice in those individuals, those entrepreneurial success stories, that there is a common thread among them all. They all had mentors and people that advised them. They all had some experience in a related field so that they could anticipate 
the issues and have some foresight as to what they were going to be faced with. Mm -hmm. Well said, well said. Great takeaways there. Thank you for sharing that and your mm -hmm. thoughts on that. That's, uh, that's valuable stuff. Thank you, Walter. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll start to we'll start to summarize here, but uh, I'm always curious for you. You you sold. Uh, I understood uh, right. You you sold Icon Blue about three years ago. Did did you sell it to your children or who did you sell it to? No, no, I sold it to a friend who was also in a in in the same business. I see. And okay. Um, okay. we we sold the customers. We kept the brand. I we, see. We, we kept the name, and uh, just transferred all the customers. So now basically, Icon Blue is the publisher of uh, Think Red Flags. I see. A, uh, a proactive and profitable approach for your small business. Do you uh, consider yourself retired as a business owner? Um. Uh, well, no. I'm. I'm still active as a business owner because I still, you know, I'm invested in companies and I okay. still invest in in companies. So I'm doing, you know, analysis on, on that. Um. Mm -hmm. I'm. I'm. You know, manage my assets. Uh, you know, along yeah. with a, a team of folks. And so. Uh. But I. I you know. I guess this is what you call retirement. <laughs> yeah. No. It's, it's, it's as much as we can retire as entrepreneurs, right? We, yeah. I right. feel like for me, I've always said I, I don't have no plans to retire in the traditional yeah, sense. Right, right. I want to always be creating. But when you were a, a, you know, as we would describe it, a business owner, when you owned Icon Blue, what, what did it provide for you that was most valuable to you? The satisfaction of being able to provide more for my family than we needed. That was a that was a goal you had from early on. Um. I, I'm not sure that I put it in those terms, but I do know that one of the things that I enjoyed most because I've experienced both. I know what it's like to have little. And I learned when I had little how to live on very little. And I was not unhappy then. And then as I started to become more financially successful, I had new lessons. I had to learn that balance is required to be successful, truly successful, and redefine success, not only as how I make money, but, you know, what do my kids think of me? What does my wife think of me? You know, um, that my success has to be, you know, more broadly defined than, than, than the money. Mm -hmm. Well said. All right. I'm always interested in books. Obviously, we've been talking about your book again, which is Think Red Flags, a proactive and profitable approach for your small business. And you can find it on Amazon as well as any, any place really you buy books online. Yeah. And, uh, but I know one of the things you capture in the book is you're obviously, as you've mentioned already, an avid reader, you have a list of your top 15 favorite books in this book. Is there one of those that comes to mind that you would recommend the most? I think the one I would recommend, it's not a new book. It was written in the late 90s. Um, it's A Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. And it, 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 it's closely related to this idea of, uh, that we talked about. It would help someone to better uh, tune into their intuition and, and their foresight and how to effectively use that. When it becomes natural to you and it becomes a natural thing for your staff, it's not something that you're drilling every day. They simply understand uh, where some pain points could be when they are in the process of executing um, 
a, an order or a service to a customer and and they automatically they understand it they 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 get the red flag it comes up like a light bulb yeah it's part of the culture right Walter? it's part of the culture yeah that's that's and and what you've instilled there is that often what happens is we just we do our job i did it i done check you've created a culture and you teach people with this book to create a culture to think ahead everybody together thinking ahead all right what are the consequences of what i'm about to do or what if questions what if? But in most environments, people do not ask themselves. I've done my job. That's all I care about. Absolutely. Okay. This book, The Gift of Fear, I have not read it, but but I, I suspect it speaks to the point, like you mentioned, that we spoke about earlier. I think that in life, we think that we are supposed to be devoid of fear, like we're supposed to conquer that. And in fact, it's a common feeling and we need to learn how to leverage that. Is that, is that fair? Exactly right. Yeah, that's well said. Well said, Henry. That's exactly what it is. All right, Walter, uh, what's one thing you would like us to take away from this conversation we had about your journey and about Think Red Flags? Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when you talk about something like red flagging, you, the concern is always to not encourage people to be too careful. Um, because it's better to move ahead and have some mistakes, but like I said, just avoiding those mistakes that can, can derail your success. Um, so I would say stay aggressive. Uh, and once you have established your business, um, create a matrix, create a process that allows you to think about other more important things and forwarding the business and not have to be concerned about how a customer is treated when they call your company. All of those basic things should be put into a process so that you don't have to address them on a daily basis. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's very much what your daughter said, you know, dad, we got to learn from our own mistakes. Your, your answer was true, but not the ones that'll kill your business or put you in a position you can't recover from. Yes, exactly. Where do you, where do you want us to go online to learn more? The website is walterhilljr.com. Walterhilljr.com. Got it. .com. Yeah. And to reach me, it's uh, thinkredflags at gmail.com. Perfect. We'll have yeah. those on the website. Okay. Thank you for your time today, sir. Okay, Henry. Good to talk to you. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Walter Hill Jr. We release new episodes every Monday morning. And you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.